This is a Bulldog Radio podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Most Valuable Sports Podcast, also known as the MBSP. My name is Brandon Worth, and today I'm actually going solo today. Um, My colleague and co-host Joe is out of the state, like other fellow Bulldogs here on our spring break, which we wish them the safest of travels on the way back, especially now we have the last quarter of the school year coming really soon. But We have no time to waste, a lot of stuff to get into today, so let's hop right into our Ferris Sports Report. As you guys may have heard, on Sunday, our men's and women's basketball teams both qualified for the NCAA D2 National Tournament for the first time combined in school history, so a very monumental day for Ferris basketball. Really cool. I mean, there was a lot of... um, Uh, selection show cool um stuff going on at buffalo wild wings on sunday night i believe both teams were there it was pretty cool but the seven seed men's team they'll take on truman state on saturday march 14th at 2 30 p.m at the host university of indianapolis so a little out of the way for us to go watch but we definitely wish them the best of luck as well as the women's team. They drew a five seed and they will get the pleasure of taking on our rivals, Grand Valley State, on Friday, March 13th at 9.30, which I am not happy about and I, have ex- I will explain that in a minute. But that game will be 9.30 at Drury University in Springfield, Missouri. And if you're around any of these games, go check out your fellow Bulldogs in postseason action, which I am not happy that the girls have to play at 9.30. I've expressed my displeasures already with that. I've experienced it. A lot of our athletes here at Ferris State have experienced it. Some of these late games are just brutal. I mean, you're basically waking up that morning. You have all of these just anxieties. You're like, man, I can't wait to play. Or, man, I'm so nervous. And that has to eat you up all day long. It's awful. I mean, I, it's just kind of like you're just waiting. I'm just like, I just want to go out in the court and do this. I just want the first whistle to blow, the, the tip off, the first shot off the tee, whatever it may be. You just want their, your competition to get underway. And the fact that it has to start so late at night, I, I think that's crazy. But that's just my opinion. I mean, I don't know what the, the NCAA thing there with those late starts are, but it should be it should be interesting to play at 930. But the girls team, they have already played Grand Valley and we unfortunately came out on the losing end. We lost 72 to 68 here at Ferris. But you can't be too worried. That was kind of earlier in the season. I mean, it was the 12th game and GV was also red hot at that point. They were undefeated 12 and 0. They were given Ashland a run for their money at the top of the GLIAC. But Jen DeBoer for GV played really well. She had 19 points, 13 boards, and 8 assists. That's an incredible stat line. I mean, she she was kind of their, their dynamic catalyst for that team. Uh, Maddie Daly, she shot really well, 18 points, including 8 of 13 from the field. GV put the ball in the hole. They shot 49% from twos and 35 or 49% total, I should say, and 35% from twos, threes. I don't know why I just said that. I'm sorry. Uh but in 76% from the line, they put the ball in the hole, and we we just didn't put the ball in the hole as much. And another big thing was we forced 
21 turnovers on Grand Valley. Adrian Anderson had six steals by herself. The, the, the whole starting lineup picked up the rest of the the um the eight to pick up 14 total steals, and it just seemed like we didn't convert on those turnovers. It was just kind of, man, if we would have did this, we would have capitalized on the turnovers. We would have been okay. We had 16 points off of turnovers, which that's not bad. You got 12 turnovers or 21 forced turnovers, but you only get 16 points. Grand Valley had 17 points off our 12 turnovers. That's not the best situation. GV took advantage of those. We did not. And four points, that's, I mean, that's the difference, which we were winning this game for the first three quarters, but GV pulled out a 25-17 to 17 fourth quarter to come back and beat us by four. It should be interesting that this game, the next time around, especially now that we're kind of on our, we have a vengeance. We just lost in the first round of the GLIAC tournament, and everybody on campus knows that our team is better than that. For sure, we didn't come out the best. We didn't play the best. Anything happens in March. But, I mean, credit to Wayne State. They took it to us. But Riley Blair had 23 in the previous game against GV, as well as Mallory McCartney at 17. Adrian Anderson, she kind of struggled. She was 4 of 18. She was 0 for 4 from 3. She finished with 9 points. And when you have somebody like that struggling, shooting the ball, you really need somebody to step up. And we really just didn't quite have that. I mean, Riley and Mallory, they did their part putting the ball in the hole, but um, Renee Strum and Chloe um, Adonio only had 16 combined, which they've been kind of the ones that have picked up the pieces when some of our starters haven't scored the ball as much. But our subs did not play very much in this game, which, I mean, it was early, so we were still trying to figure out um, the perfect um, substitutions and um, sets of players together. But Lily George had three. She was the only one that contributed points off the bench. So it should be very interesting. I mean, this game was back in January, right after the new year. Literally, it was January 2nd. So completely different teams now. I, I'm really excited. I hope we can take it to GV this time around. But going over to the boys' side, taking on Truman State, I'm I'm excited. Obviously, we came up short as well in the GLIAC tournament, losing that first-round game to Northern, which they've kind of had our number the past couple of years. But I'm not worried that much. It's one game. And I, I've said that a lot is it's just one game. But the one thing is we're 3-0 in neutral site games. That's pretty, that's pretty sweet. We have a good record on neutral site games. I'm knocking on wood right now. But the one thing that we need to do is we need to play well inside and out. And what I mean by that is we've done a very good job all year of shooting the three ball pretty well. I mean, we've shot a lot of threes. I believe we've had only a handful of games where we haven't shot under 20 threes. We actually took 41 back on November 26th against Grace Christian, which that's just crazy to think about. But we shoot the ball extremely well from three, and and Bronkema loves these guys to let it fly. I mean, we faced Texas Permian Basin at the beginning of the year. We put up 111 points. We were 18 of 32 from three. That's remarkable. We haven't been good as of late, and a lot of people saw that the Northern game, we shot 8 of 28. But 
if we can establish our post game with Logan Ryan and Cole Walker, and then we can get it to guys on the outside to let it fly from three, especially guys um, like Greg Williams and Doreen Aluhi and Walt Kelzer, we can get the. I feel like we can get the job done defensively. I, I, I we're looking pretty good. I mean, the last game, couple games, we've allowed 70, 67. Um, 70, 68, 71, couple um, high-scoring games, Purdue Northwest and um, Northwood were kind of exceptions, but 65 against Saginaw Valley, 67 against Wayne State, 65 against Ashland, even though we lost, but it's kind of where we've been pretty consistent defensively. I mean, we're not, you can say elite, but we can we can definitely get the job done. I mean, a lot of these guys have been playing extremely well. Walt Kelzer, yeah, he's got fire off his fingertips, and he's just playing extremely good basketball right now. I mean, he's been lighting it up this year so far. I mean, the guy's averaging 17.6 per game. He he almost hit, or I believe he hit 30 in our last game in the playoffs, but a lot of question on if he should have had the ball at the end of the game. I'm, I'm not going to conspire about that. I mean, it's basketball. It happens so fast. You don't really need it. It can go by so fast. You make some decision, and you don't realize it in the moment, but... I'm not going to say anything about that, but Logan Ryan, he's kind of an, um, a re, a revamp to our team. I mean, after losing Zach Hankins to Division One, Xavier, he we we kind of had that little bit of a, a, you could say a little soft spot in, down in the post since he left. Cole Walker's been very good, but Logan Ryan coming from Colorado State, he's been a big fill-in there, looking for him to have a big game. Then we have D'Angelo Hughes and Dorian Aluhi as well. They've been kind of um, our scorers outside. They're the ones that have been shooting pretty well from three alongside Wall and Greg. But I'm really excited. I hope we can do well, especially now that it's postseason. It's March. Anything can happen, especially that we come in as a seven seed we're definitely being overlooked at the sevens, like the seven seed. I think we should be higher. I think everybody on our team, our on our team, knows that we should have been higher. But I mean, you just don't know. Tech got a higher seed than us. I don't know how I feel about that because we've beat them. So it, I mean, it. I don't know. I'm not the committee, so it should be interesting. Can't wait for that. Now moving on into softball. Uh, after a great showing that's going 3-1 and one at the Midwest crossover, they continue their run at the spring games in the warm state of Florida, which we all wish we were right now back in Michigan. But they've been doing pretty well. They're 6-8 and eight so far. Not a, not the best start, but, you know, it's early. Like it, It's the beginning of the season. I mean, I've experienced it playing baseball that in Michigan, you were, your season really doesn't get start until maybe April. Because by now, you're just trying to get on the field, and you're almost throwing with gloves on. It's just brutal conditions to play in right now. I mean, they got all this technology like the frostbite gloves and stuff, but it's just not the same as feeling it in your fingers. I mean, when if you hit a bad, a bad, like, bad hit, you could say, off the end of the bat or off the more towards the knob, it hurts. Like, it really hurts. It could knock you out for probably, an, like, it, it really hurts. So what I'm trying to say is Michigan baseball, softball, we're still getting used to being in our playing back home. I mean, I know they're playing in Florida, but with training and stuff, it's hard to get outside. I've seen them been practicing outside, and, and I know exactly what they're feeling like. It's cold. It's hard to play softball, especially outdoors right now. But they've started 2-4 and four in the spring games. Um, they had wins over Hillsdale and Neak. 
on Monday. They've been playing some pretty good softball so far. I mean, we haven't really got to see them as much because they haven't been playing yet. But um, Paige Quartz, she's a junior outfielder. She's been playing very well so far. She has a 391 average, including a team-high 13 RBIs. Uh, Caitlin Orme, she's a sophomore. She's leading us with three home runs. So she's been doing very well. Um, Jessica Tucci, she's a sophomore utility player. She's batting 318, eight RBIs, uh, six walks. Been doing pretty well. Cody Ramirez leads the team with nine steals. We have a lot of potential, and looking at a lot of these names, we are very young. A lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores, a lot of juniors. I believe we have one senior on our team, and that is Sawyer um, Whiteman. She's a first baseman slash second baseman. She hasn't played that much, but the, it looks like we have some some pretty good like um, talent coming up, especially now that it's starting to get underway. It should be like it's. We kind of talked about the hockey team; they've been kind of struggling, but they're a young team. They have a lot coming in. So, pitching wise, um, Caitlin Orme, like she said, she's actually a pitcher and an, a um a utility hitter. So that's a, that's a pretty cool thing to have now, especially now that that dynamic's kind of been established into the whole world of baseball. She kind of got rocked in her first start, but not too worried. Um, our three main pitchers, um, Caitlin Nugget, Abby Highway, Car- um, and Connor Proctor, two of them are seniors. One is a sophomore. The, uh, Con- or Connor has three wins. Um, the other two have been kind of a little on the downside with um, above five ERAs, but like you said, it's early. There's lots of season to be played, so it should be very interesting. I'm We're looking forward to seeing how our softball team does, but moving on into golf. Golf is now underway. Both um, men's and women's teams kicked off their seasons at the Saddlebrook kickoff at Palmer Course in Wesley Chapel, Florida. Once again, jealous of all of our sports teams going to Florida, but we did very, very well. Our women's team finished runner-up out of seven. Very good start for them. Um, Destiny Lawson, she finished third overall. She golfed a 237. Elena DeRose shot a 243, which landed her seventh. Mackenzie Dale, Shayna Schneider, and Margot Brown rounded out our team. That they did, they did very well. We had some individuals as well, placing very high. Very a lot of good, good talent for our golf teams as well. Our men's team took home the crown out of the four teams competing at the spring kickoff we had a combined average score of 307 which was huge um thomas hersey took home the individual crown with rounds of 74 71 and 70 to lead the bulldogs fellow teammates daniel shaddock tanner moore jason martin martinez and i apologize if I said that wrong, and Trent Barth helped us bring home the trophy with very, very good rounds of golf. We also had two um, individuals, Nathan Cranick and Zach Gilder, both placing in the top 15 for the individuals. They did very, very well. Both of those teams will now go to the Saginaw Valley State Invitational, not our Saginaw Valley State in Saginaw, Michigan, but in Georgetown, Kentucky, yeah, I know it's very weird. I looked it up. Very, very strange. But anyway, that's where they will be. And finally, moving on into our last sports of the Fair Sports Report, the tennis team competed against Rollins College in the Sunshine State as well on Tuesday. Both teams did fall to Rollins, but good to see that their seasons are still in full swing and they're getting tennis in over in Florida. But 
the women's team, they've started off pretty well. They're 10-8 and eight right now with a winning record men's team. Um, they're a little bit more struggling, but still a lot of potential with that team as well. Um, both teams are looking to add wins this week against St. Leo and Eckert before heading back home here to Big Rapids. So, quick recap. Men's basketball plays Saturday at 2.30. Women's basketball Friday at 9.30, both out of the state. If you can get there, great. If not, there will be updates on the website Softball and tennis, they have games and matches throughout this week in Florida before they come back as well. Golf, Saturday and Sunday, match at that invite in Kentucky. All the results and schedule for your Ferris State Bulldogs are on our athletics website, Ferris Sports Bulldog, or I'm sorry, FerrisStateBulldogs.com. So go ahead and check that out. Now moving into a recurring topic in this show, the Big Ten college basketball season regular season, I should say, is now officially complete and finished. It has been a wild ride. You can say that for the least. The Wisconsin Badgers, Maryland Terrapins, and Michigan State Spartans all took home a share of the regular season crown due to their tied record at 14-6. and six. Illinois was the first runner-up at 13-7. and seven. Iowa Ohio State, Penn State, and Rutgers all finished 11-9. and Our beloved Michigan Wolverines finished a sad 10-10. and Purdue and Indiana, 9-11. Minnesota, 8-12. and And then Northwestern and Nebraska, not good. But looking at a lot of these teams, it's obvious that the home court advantage was definitely in play this year. There were only two teams, and they were Northwestern and Nebraska, that had less than a 66% winning percentage at home, which is crazy, absolutely crazy. The, the lowest besides those two was 11-5. and five. Minnesota, Michigan, and Purdue were all 11-5 and five at home this season. Rutgers was the best home court team, and that was very obvious. Them at the rack, like I said on the last show, absolutely crazy. They were 18-1, and one, and they were 2-8 and eight on the road, which that kind of evened things out, but like... It's just absolutely crazy the fact that the all these home like court advantages are just just kicking teams' butts sometimes. It's hard to play or play on the road. It just seems like it's a lot different. But Wisconsin, by far the craziest of the story, they've won eight straight to come back and get to this Big Ten championship share for the regular season. Absolutely crazy. Michigan State is very very hot right now. Maryland's kind of. Kind of back down a little bit less than those two teams, but they still have a lot of potential. They definitely have one of the most talented teams here in the Big Ten. But overall, Big Ten tournament, it's wide open. Like, it is wide, wide open. There is so much at stake here. Anybody could really win this. It's it's just crazy the fact that we have all these teams that are doing so well at the same time and there's not this dominant force like we've seen in some other conferences where it's just like, yeah, Baylor's going to win or Kansas is going to win. Like, there's not these teams where if they were in, like, if we had a different team, like, in this conference, it could be interesting. Like, the fact, if we put, for say, like a Kansas, like I just said, in the Big Ten, it'd be very interesting to see how they would do in the Big Ten just because, them and Baylor dominating the Big 12. I mean, it's been those two teams and then the rest of the field, really. But 
it's not like that for the Big Ten. There's so many teams that are so close. I mean, we had three teams that caught, tied for the regular season. That's that's crazy. You don't see that in very many other conferences, but it should be very interesting games yesterday, Northwestern and Minnesota, Nebraska and Indiana. You can check out the highlights on Big Ten um, website. But Michigan, Rutgers, today, noon, should be a good one. I really hope we win. And we have actually played Rutgers in a neutral site game. So that's very, very interesting. The fact we're like we're four and zero in neutral site games. Three of them coming at the Bahamas, and the other one coming in New York when we played Rutgers last, and we pulled out the win there. Led behind Brandon Johns' twenty points off the bench and forty-seven percent three-point shooting. But the big memo, and I've said it a lot on this show with Michigan, we don't have a bigger post threat. I love John Teske. Don't get me wrong. John Teske is a great, great player. Is there things we wish he wouldn't do? Like maybe miss a wide-open layup or knock a ball out or try to hack somebody for a block and get an unnecessary foul? Yes. He like he still provides us with a better three-point shooting big, and he's also very dynamic uh, running the floor. But we don't have a big physical guy that can bring us 13 rebounds a night. We don't have that. Our leading rebounder on this team, guys, it's Isaiah Livers. And he's our forward. He's not our center. That can just tell you, like, we don't have that big of a threat in the center position in the post. That's what we need. I wish Austin Davis played a little bit more. I feel like he'd be that that blue chip guy that he, he scraps for stuff, man. He, he will block out some people. I, I mean, he's really excited to watch because he can, he can lock down some guys defensively. Offensively, a little less skilled than Teske, but he can still make up for it with his hustle as well. But a lot of big games. Purdue and um, Ohio State play at 630. That should be a very interesting game. Ohio State's been on a, a skid recently. Purdue's kind of been up and down. Can go either way with that. But Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan State, and Maryland all await their opponents for that game on Friday um, for their respective games, I should say, as well as the semis at 1 and 25 minutes after um, the first game on Saturday and the championship game on CBS at 3.30. So it should be very interesting. A lot of uh, I'm really looking forward to see how Penn State responds. They've skidded the last couple. They were at the top, and now they're kind of more towards the middle. They've done. Lamar Stevens has played. He's played all right. I mean, he had a struggling, struggling game. I believe going was against Michigan State, where he just couldn't. He just seemed like he had a lid on the basket or something. But they should be an interesting team to watch. Uh, they win their game. They'll play Maryland. That could be an interesting matchup. I would really love for us to play or us Michigan play Wisconsin again. I'd love to see how that goes down. I mean, Wisconsin could not miss against us, and we really couldn't hit that well. So I feel like that game will be a lot more even at a neutral site, but we never know. It's really interesting to see all these neutral site games because then you really see the dynamic of a team without a dynamic home crowd against them or absolutely nobody in the stands on on an away game. But it should be very interesting. And what is also very interesting right now, March Madness. It is now here. A lot of conference teams have already punched their ticket 
to the big dance in early conference tournaments. Uh, the Atlantic Sun, Liberty, came out on top. They've been a dynamic, dominant team over there, beating Lipscomb in the championship game. They've punched their ticket. Winthrop punched their ticket from the Big South. Hofstra from the Colonial. Northern Kentucky, once again, three out of their last four years here in the horizon. And the Ivy League, Yale has won that conference, not by a tournament, and we'll get into that later, but also the Missouri Valley, Bradley, we've seen them before. They were the ones that pulled off that stunning upset a couple years ago. Utah State from the Mountain West, Robert Morris from the Northeast, Belmont, Belmont is back in the Ohio Valley after defeating Murray State and John Morant's alumni that made a very, very interesting run last year. East Tennessee State almost blew it to Wofford, but they came out on top in the Southern, and that is all so far. But a lot of conference tournaments still left. It is going to be very, very interesting. I watched a... A report last night from Joe Lenardi on Bracketology. He has Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, and Dayton as his current number one seeds. But he also stated that Kansas and Gonzaga are almost locks at the one spot. How I feel about that, I can agree with that. Kansas and Gonzaga have been very dominant teams, and obviously Gonzaga has a little bit of a a little bit of a, a punch there in their resume. With, especially with that loss to Michigan and Atlantis. But they they still have some pretty good resume um, games as well. I mean, they've dominated their conference. It just seems like, yeah, if they win the conference tournament, they're a lock at the one. There's no, there's no way around it. Kansas and Baylor. Kansas has kind of been that team that just is like, they must have listened to my podcast, and they were just like, yeah, we're just going to smash this guy's opinion, and we're just going to go out there and literally clean everyone's clock in our way and just show that we are a consistent number one seed, and that's what they've shown the last couple of weeks. So it should be interesting to see that. Baylor's kind of been a little on the downslope since that loss to Kansas back um, a couple of weeks ago, but... Dayton has been a surprising team. Oppie Toppin's been fantastic. That team, very, very, very sneaky to watch out for. They could be a powerhouse that sneaks in that we didn't talk about at the beginning of the year. But it should be very, very interesting. I mean, the last time we checked out all of these these bracketology brackets, we've had a lot of teams where we just kind of are like, what? Like, it just seems like, there's a lot of teams that we have on there right now that it just seems like, yeah, w- wait a minute. They're on there? What? Like, wait, they're that high? I mean, that's absolutely crazy. I mean, looking at the latest here on the March 9th from Joe Lenardi and Bracketology, we got teams like LSU at the 8 seed. We got teams like Creighton at the 2 seed now, which in relevance or I'm sorry, in comparison, Duke is a three seed. I would have never saw that coming. Florida State is at a two seed. And watch out, You, I can say this right now, you will not be surprised if Florida State comes up and snatches a one seed if Baylor loses to Kansas in the Big 12 tournament. I believe that that can happen, especially if Florida State comes out and blows out the ACC and wins the tournament. That could definitely happen, so you can watch out for that. Maryland's a four seed. Michigan is a six seed. 
I, I love my Wolverines, but I don't think they're a six seed. I think they're going to fall to a seven. Illinois right now is a seven. Penn State is a six. Ohio State is a five. They're not going to stay a five, in my opinion, especially if they lose the first game to Purdue. They will definitely drop down. But they actually have a very interesting opponent on this bracket, Stephen F. Austin. And we know what Stephen F. Austin can do, especially when they're an underdog. So Seton Hall, big sleeper team. They're a three seed right now in this bracket in the West. Kentucky's a two. Villanova's a three, which is crazy because Villanova wasn't even ranked in the top 25 at one point in this season. And they just kind of came out of nowhere. It seems like they were down and out, but they're not. Nico Mannion and the Arizona Wildcats are an eight seed right now. We haven't talked about them at all. They've just kind of came out of nowhere, it seems like. Michigan State is a three seed, and they're actually slated to possibly play the winner of a game that would include Virginia. That would be a very interesting game to see Virginia against that offense right now. But Iowa's a six seed on here as well. Eh, I don't know. I mean, Iowa's been great, but... I mean, I hyped them up at the beginning of the season, but they've not performed to that standard whatsoever. It has been a rough turn for the Hawkeyes. Luca Garza's kind of been on a little bit of a downslope, and the dynamic of that team's kind of going downhill. But, I mean, looking at the rundown so far in this NCAA tournament, the Big Ten leading the way, obviously, with 10 teams in this potential bracket. Pac-12 has seven, which is kind of crazy to think. Big 12 has six, including two of the one seeds. The Big East has six. ACC has five. SEC has four. And the Mountain West, ironically, has two. I believe they have um, Utah State that won that division, as well as BYU, who is playing. I believe they're in there as well. They've been playing really well. They're a 5C right now. They could be slated to play Yale. So that that could be very interesting. But anyway, like... This should be a very fun tournament because there's no favorite or front runner like previous years. There's been teams like Kansas and Duke, North Carolina that everybody knows could win the thing, especially Villanova the last couple of years in their dynamic seasons. But it's just been one of those seasons where you're like, yeah, flip a coin on this between this game and you probably will have a better chance to pit than to pick it because it can go any direction possible it has just been so wild to see all of this but it should be a fun fun march madness guys if you haven't filled out a bracket before or haven't in a while you should fill one out this year and with your buddies because it'll be a fun time and you will not even guess who's probably going to win some of these games it's going to be so evenly matched it's going to be a fun march madness so definitely fill out your brackets i know me and joe might And there might even be an episode with Bracket filling out. You didn't hear it from me. No, you definitely heard it from me. I might have just dropped a hint for next episode. So you may want to look in the future for a Bracket episode. But now into our next topic here. Everyone knows in the United States right now and across the world, the coronavirus, COVID-19, has been a big-time impactor in Every world, country, city, town, whatever it is, all economies and health standards are being questioned right now with this coronavirus. We have a lot of stuff going down, especially in the sports world. Just a couple days ago, the MLB, MLS, NBA, and NHL made a joint 
breaking news announcement, which that by itself is absolutely crazy because we've never really seen something like that before. But they announced that they will be basically removing their press conferences and access to their the players' locker rooms to go speak to them. So I'll, there's basically, they're going to try to, I wouldn't almost want to just say separate, but they're trying to get the players away from the outside media. That way both won't come in contact and things could go wrong. People can can get sick. I mean, I understand what they're doing. And what, the one thing I'm worried about is there's a lot more and more and more and more coming out. I mean, the Serie A soccer league over in Italy, due to, to their country lockdown, they've suspended their whole league. Games have been stopped. Everything is stopped for them right now until further notice. The U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, they canceled their Tokyo Media Summit due to the coronavirus fears. And there's even a report out that there is a big, there is a big possibility that, that Japan it might postpone the Tokyo Olympics until maybe the later of the year. Which, I mean, I'm not a po- I This is the one thing. The athletes have been waiting four years for this. If you just go out right and cancel it, I how in the world would you be able to take that? You've been training this long to wear your country's colors and compete in front of the largest like world sport I like ever ever invented. The great one of the greatest events in the world, the Olympics. And you can't compete after training for how long? That's that would absolutely just demoralize how you would feel i i hope that doesn't happen a postpone if that's what the necessary steps are i'm i mean a lot of people might be opposed to it me personally if we get the olympics i'm going to be happy i mean obviously you want to see them in the summer when the summer is going on but whatever it may be to let these guys compete i'm all for it but like i was talking about earlier with yale they actually won their conference without a tournament because the Ivy League decided to suspend the tournament and cancel it outright. So Yale was the regular season leader for the conference, so they get the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament, which is crazy because they didn't even have to go through the tournament. So if it happened to any other conference, well, Big Ten is going to have to send three or something. I don't know what they'd use for a tiebreaker, but it would probably end up being Michigan State somehow, and then I'll, I won't hear the end of it. But it should be one thing we should be looking at. Now, there's a lot of news coverage on this, and a lot of people are aware of it. We really need to know that everyone's taking the necessary actions to address this, but we are a lot of people are freaking out right now because there is a lot, a lot of coverage going out, so it's being amplified all over every media platform. So that's how I feel, but there's just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot going on with this virus, but it's it's really being, I wouldn't say overhyped, but I think it's being a really, like, coverage is going deep, deep in, and I mean, we haven't, it's not like we haven't seen anything like this before. We got the Zika virus a couple years ago as well. We had Ebola that was sweeping the world by nation. But we we have we have a lot of scientists that are developing stuff. So we're, we're really hoping for the best. And I have faith. I hope you guys have faith as well that we will get this resolved. But 
Now moving on into a more not depressing topic. We got the NBA. We don't talk really a lot on the NBA just because that is mostly covered by our co-show, Mikes and Takes. Those guys will be back as well as our show on regular scheduled programming on Monday, so you can check them out as well. But a lot has been going on in the NBA as of late. I mean, the Lakers have been dominating behind LeBron, obviously, but um, Tuesday night's game was a little bit of a, a little bump in the road after the loss to the Nets, but they've been very good. The Nuggets are chipping away at the two-seed from the Clippers. So the Thunder have also been amazing right now. We have not talked about the Thunder enough as credit as they should be. They are a five-seed right now. I mean, yes, they are t- kind. They are tied with Houston, but and Dallas is only a game out as well. But give them some credit. Give Chris Paul some credit. He had every right after that Russell Westbrook trade to say, I don't want to play here. Absolutely not. Get me out of here. I don't want to play with these young guys. I want to be on a team that's contending. But what did he do? He stayed loyal to the team. He worked everything out. He's developed his team around his guys, and they are playing extremely good basketball. So how do you think the Rockets feel right now? They uh, have given... Chris Paul and guys to Oklahoma City, and now they're worse than them. Who do you think might have won that trade after all? Now, I mean, just just crazy to think about. But um, Denver, I've been a big Denver fan. I I personally like Colorado as a state. I've been there. It's pretty sweet as far as landscape and stuff go. Their culture is super cool. People are super nice. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Denver, but. The Nuggets are a really cool team. I really love Nikola Jokic. He's kind of redefined the center position as this kind of more of a mini, or I wouldn't say a miniature, but more of like a differentiated, tweaked version of a point guard with a lot bigger body size and a lot bigger physical threat in the post, which he's been phenomenal. I mean, we talked about him as a little bit of an MVP candidate, but He's, he's kind of been a little bit struggling. I wouldn't say... Let me rephrase that. He's not struggling. LeBron and Giannis have just been so out of their minds, we just kind of forgot Nicole was even in the conversation. So that's really the basis of it. But right now, 1-8 through eight in the Western Conference, we got the Lakers, 49-14. They're leading the way by 5.5 games over the Clippers in second. Uh, Denver, a game back from the Clippers at third. Utah in fourth. You. OKC, like I talked about, in fifth. Houston and Dallas, six, seven. Then we have Memphis in the eighth spot. And ironically, they are less than 500. They're 32 and 33 right now. But a big dynamic right now with this conference is really who's going to get hot at the end of the season. Um, Golden State has officially been eliminated. So everyone that hates that bandwagon can start clapping right now. They are out of it officially at 15 and 4 or 15 and 50. Minnesota is not far away from that as well. Barrett and his Phoenix Suns will probably not make the playoffs this year, as well as Travis and his San Antonio Spurs. That I mean, they're not their teams. I'm just saying the ones that they had their, their bet about. And if you want to know what the bet is about, go check out Mike's and Takes. But both of those teams, 27 and 26 wins. That it's not looking good for them. I mean, there's still a chance. There's plenty of there's plenty of games left. I mean, I'm not saying. I mean, we're only about 
64 games in, I believe, for most of the teams, 63, 65, some, somewhere in there. There's still almost 20 games left. It's possible. But right now, those teams' chances are looking pretty slim. But Portland is only three games out, or three and a half, I should say, out of Memphis, as well as the Pelicans, guys. Zion might lead this team back. It's possible. Lonzo, Zoe, and Zion, man, those two have been by very, very good. They've been phenomenal so far working together. And it's kind of interesting because looking at the stats, Lonzo Ball's three-point percentage has gone extremely up since Zion has been a part of this team, joined up here just a few weeks, months ago. But it's been a very, very fun season overall. Moving now into the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee dominating, but could they lose their one seed? It is possible. Now, there there is official word that Giannis did ha- is, is banged up. He has something, I believe, wrong with his knee, but... It's not. I. It doesn't sound like anything serious. So don't don't go don't go to the forums and say the Buck season's over. Or whatever. He might be back in a couple of weeks. It sounds like a little tiny like tweak or a little like strain or something along those lines. I can look up the report in just a minute. But Toronto is forty six and eighteen right now. They're in the two spot. Boston forty three and twenty one. Miami forty one and twenty three. The Indiana Pacers. They've been kind of a different like. Um, dynamic team. They haven't been as good on the at home this year, but they've kind of picked it up on the road to keep them in that five spot right now compared to the bottom half of the top eight. We got Philadelphia. And guys, Philadelphia scares me a little bit. Here's why. They have been the best, the best home team in the Eastern Conference. They're 28-2 right now. 28-2. What are they on the road? 10 and 24. That's a little scary. They're they're 5 and 5 in their last 10. They're 25 and 16 in the conference. We talked about Joel Embiid previously on how he thinks he's the best player in the world. Everyone has their views. I don't believe he is. But there's still some good good stuff going on there in Philadelphia. I'm not saying that they're out. They're completely out. I'm just saying I'm nervous based on the fact that they might have to rely on their four home games to win a series. That's the one thing. They're going to have to get it done on the road if they're going to beat teams like Miami, beat teams like Milwaukee, beat teams like that later in this tournament, you could say. Well, basically the, the postseason, but I mean, adding the additions of Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson gives them more depth in their lineup. They got Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, like I talked about, Al Horford. Furkan Korkmaz, sound familiar? He's kind of been one of those guys that's kind of in and out of the lineup as well. You got Zaire Smith, Matisse Thibel, some young, young dynamic guys. Of course, Ben Simmons as well. He's been very good. He's had his shot comeback, which has been kind of nice, but... 76ers have come off a loss to the Golden State Warriors by four on March 7th. That's a little alarming, but good news for them, but bad news for us. They get a redemption game against our Detroit Pistons. Our Detroit Pistons, oh my goodness, I don't know what to say right now. I... 
my expressions right now just tell you like I I I wish this team would do so well. We lost to the Knicks. Guys, the New York Knicks. And we'll talk about the New York Knicks in a minute. The New York Knicks are 20 and 44. Guys, we're 20 and 45. We're worse than the New York Knicks. What? Man, are you kidding me right now? This uh is just absolutely killing me. I want the Pistons to do so well. It's just not been our year, I guess. Blake gets hurt. Sekou's been up and down as our our young guy. Christian Wood, give him some credit. That guy is very good, and I've loved him ever since he's been on the floor. I'm so glad he's in the center starting spot. I understand what Drummond brings to the table with 2020s. I get it. But like Travis said on Mikes and Takes, every other episode they've talked about the Pistons, Drummond did not help them win games. And I kind of have to agree with him on that. I understand the 2020 aspect, and I know that helps you win games. But we've had him for that long as the dynamic focal point, and we haven't gone anywhere. That's that's my problem. We're always trying to sneak into a 7 or 8 seed. Why don't we ship him out for assets let him play for a team that's better. That that almost worked better for Andre is if he got to play for a team that was better, more fit for him. And the fact that we shipped him to Cleveland, Ohio for Brandon Knight, John Henson, and some picks, I, I, I know they're going to help our team, but why in the world did we settle? I feel like we settled in that trade. I really do. I don't understand why we had an asset as big as Andre Drummond. And we had to we gave him to Cleveland. Guys, Cleveland's in our conference. Cleveland is literally worse than us on paper. Why in the world did we not go to a team that needs a rebounding big? You could even even say you could throw Golden State in there, but they haven't been really winning as of late. But maybe you could give them to a team, maybe such as the Celtics, maybe? Go for some bigger team that could really use a dynamic rebounding big and get some assets from them. But we settled and gave gave them to Cleveland for some role players and draft picks. I understand the draft pick. Draft picks are great. But the draft pick, I believe, was in 2023. That's four years from now. It's, uh, I don't. Uh, I'm gonna stop ranting right now. We have we have a dynamic team. Uh, I'll give him some credit. Luke Kennard talked about him. He's been good. We wish him the best to get healthy. Brandon Knight, he's back in Detroit. Thon Makers, well, Derek Rose, Svee. If we get rid of Svee, like we did Drummond, I'm gonna lose my mind, cause. He's dynamic. He can make plays. He can shoot the basketball. And I'll give Logan um Logan credit for Mike's and takes as well on his his uh, um he actually was kind of the the guy that convinced me of how good Svi is because of his point with him at the the Lakers. And I really didn't understand what like like Svi could bring until I started looking at him back at the Lakers and I was like, "Oh, 
he's actually pretty good. You can't just look at stats sometimes to watch a play. He 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 can bring it a little bit, and he's shown that here in Detroit. So definitely with Christian Wood, those young guys, if we can make some good draft picks, maybe get some trades for some veterans, we could we could probably make a team going. Yeah, I almost wondering if we should get um we should get big three guy Joe Johnson. I can't believe I just blanked on that. He almost made the team, but that would have been very fun to see. But right now, we talked about the Knicks and Spike Lee on a previous show. Here's how it's been going on right now. The Knicks attendance immediately following this incident was one of the lowest that the Garden has ever seen. Red flag? I think yes. And my point on this was it falls on the owner. Do I back that? Yes. I feel like it is. I I can be convinced otherwise that it's not his fault. But we haven't heard anything that clarifies anything. And it seems like a lot of news reports out in the sports world, everyone has conflicting views. It's about the person, and the person is going to say something different. Who's lying? We don't know. We don't know. And that's what's making this story so much harder to see. Spike Lee was told by the New York Knicks that he had to use a different entrance. Spike Lee said, I was not notified I needed to use a different entrance. Why do you need to use a different entrance? There was disagreement. He ended up getting in the garden. He was confronted by Dolan. I'm not saying confronted, confronted, like see me in the see me in the parking lot. I'm gonna like make sure that I get my point across. But they talked at halftime. Spike didn't want to talk to him, but he kind of just let Dolan do his thing and Dolan told him basically now you know what to do. But the thing about this situation is he used the same entrance on last on the Wednesday before. Almost a week before. And he said he wasn't notified. Now, if the Knicks came out and said, oh, we notified him, there's proof right here, then maybe Spike would say, okay, I didn't see it. Okay, my bad. Maybe that would be the difference. But now that this thing's escalated, nobody's clarifying anything, it seems like. And now Spike Lee's not at Knicks games. Fans are not at Knicks games because they're probably siding with Spike. And Dolan is, he's acting like business is normal. He's not trying to fix anything, it seems like, or anything. He's just like, yeah, life goes on. It goes on. We did what we could. But the fans are now on his side, and they're not going to come. And you're not going to get any allure anymore. You're not going to get players to come to a team that has these sort of problems in the system. So I think they need to fix that. Who's been moved? Almost everybody except the owner. And he's still there. And we still have the same seasons and the same dynamic for the Knicks team. I feel bad for Stephen A. Smith, man. What he's going through probably right now, especially after losing Kyrie, KD, and Zion last summer, settling for Julius Randle, I feel really bad. But for our last topic... We have the NFL draft coming up here in April, which it might seem like a long ways away, but it'll be here before we know it. 
There's a lot of news going around about who should be drafted where and what's going on with the free agents and where are they going to go. Nobody really knows. So kind of going into that right now, I'm looking at mock drafts here on NFL.com. They got four analysts here, Bucky Brooks, Chad Reuter, Cynthia Freeland, and Daniel Jeremiah. All completely credited, very good at their jobs very good at making these things. And I say that because there's a lot of discrepancy between these drafts, which is perfectly fine. It's just a lot of different views going on right now. And there's a lot of crazy stuff going on as well. So looking here through the mock drafts, three out of four of them have concluded that Joe Burrow will be a Cincinnati Bengal. The one that does not, Cynthia says Chase Young will go to the Bengals. And honestly, the Bengals need all the help they can get. And firmly, I believe they should pick Burrow because the Red Rocket, Andy Dalton, he, he's he's past his time, really. I, I, I hate to say that about a guy, but it's been how many years since he's been a very, very good quarterback. And I know he hasn't had A.J. Green because A.J. Green's been hurt all the time and this and that, don't have weapons, whatever it is. It's just not been great. And sometimes a great player might not fit on a team. It it just might not happen. Maybe Andy Dalton goes to the Chargers and he turns them around in a Super Bowl team. We don't know. But his time in Cincinnati seems like it's coming up or coming to an end. So Joe Burrow is most likely the guy that I believe that can transform that team. He's got that swagger that he knows he can bring to a team. But at the two spot, this is where things start to get interesting. Two out of the four claim about what 90% of mock draft people are saying that Chase Young will go to the Redskins which would be a very good pair with Montez Sweat and Ryan Kerrigan but there are also picks that they'll take Tua are they not sold that Dwayne Haskins is their quarterback it might not sound like it. It, it it seems like he might not be their quarterback which is kind of crazy because it seems like Ron Rivera is like, he, I understand what Ron Rivera is in right now. Not Obviously, I'm not a coach. Uh, when I say I understand, I can see where his perspective is. Yeah, I'm a coach of this team. I kind of want to see what the dynamic of this team is, and I want to create it and mold it to the best I can. And that can be started at the quarterback. Quarterback's the main man of the offense. Almost you could say the second head coach. But he, he wants the guy that he wants. He had Cam. I believe he drafted Cam. He wanted Cam. I, I understand. I mean, I understand he's looking at different guys saying, I wonder who I want to best suit this team to create into the best team possible. I can see why he might be looking at quarterbacks. It's just very interesting that they want to look at Tua as much, and they also talk to Joe Burrow. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is crazy, but I I feel like I'm going to probably agree that Chase Young is probably going to be the pick here. There's also a pick on here from Cynthia who said Isaiah Simmons will go three. Hey, that's not a bad pick for them either. These are all great picks. It's just we love mock drafts because that gives us kind of a sense of what is going on in the like in the NFL world right now that a lot of guys might be going to different teams every week. It seems like a, at least 10 picks are different. It's just kind of crazy to think about that. But the most important pick, number three, 
our beloved Motown Detroit Lions. All four have four different picks. Bucky Brooks says Isaiah Simmons. He is a very good player. He is a linebacker, uh, pass rusher, mix combo kind of a guy from Clemson. He's very good. I'm not opposed to having Isaiah Simmons on the team. Chad Reuter says Chase Young. I'm not mad at that either. That's a, that's I, I I could take Chase Young. Only thing I have, like I said on previous shows, haven't seen him as much in bigger games when he's been in multi-coverage, double teams. We, we know they're taking him out of the game, but if you want to be a good player in the NFL, you're going to have to avoid stuff like that because sometimes it seems like you are going to be double-blocked even though it might be just one guy. There's there's guys in this league that are just that good. Cynthia has Derek Brown from Auburn. That's not a bad pick. I mean, the funny thing is all these picks are defense-related, which Daniel Jeremiah it went with the, the consensus of what we all think, and that's going to be Jeff Okuda at corner, especially now if Darius Slay is going to depart. It's just one thing where we're like, yeah, we have so much we kind of need on the defense, we could just pick anybody, really. And that that's truly how I see it. Safety, I mean, we have Tracy Walker. I mean, we had we had Diggs. Talked about Diggs. Why we made that trade, don't know. But defensive line, obviously we could use some more now that Snacks is retired. Linebackers, yeah, we, we're not as good as we think we're going to be. Corners, yeah, we lack depth. We understand we can go in so many different directions. I'm just, I'm going to be, if we pick a tight end, I'll lose my mind. But other than that, I I wouldn't honestly be opposed to us drafting Tristan Wirfs, the lineman out of Iowa. He's very explosive, but he's apparently going to the Giants with the fourth pick on most of the consensus. Chad Reuter actually has Justin Herbert going to the New York Giants, which I don't see why that would happen. It seems like they are really kind of sold on trying to develop Daniel Jones, but... Also, Jed, uh, Jedrick Wills, a lineman from Alabama. That's how that's who Bucky has going for those guys. Giants need a line. That's really that that pick might be the most solid put it in stone pick. Is that the Giants will take a lineman? I mean, they've got Daniel Jones and they have Saquon Barkley. They just need to keep them healthy to develop. That's how I see it. Um, number five, things get interesting because. Cynthia has Joe Burrow dropping to five. And, of course, if Miami's going to have a chance to get their hands on Joe Burrow, they're going to take it immediately. And they they will definitely draft him. They ha- Another has Tua. Another has Mekai Becton. He's the very large lineman from Louisville, as well as Tristan Wirfs as well. Jo- or Dolphins need a lot. They could use anybody, really. But number six, somebody... A.K.A. Chad Reuter has Jordan Love going to the L.A. Chargers, which also on a side note, there's a new uh, leaked logo out for the Chargers. It, it it looks pretty bad. I don't know. I like the old logo. I think everybody I as a Los Angeles Rams fan loved that logo. So uh, on a side note, I don't think that logo is very good, but that's just me. I don't know what they were going for, really. I understand, like, it looks kind of too much like the Chargers, almost. It, I like, like, the neon kind of looks kind of neat, but just the style of it, the no, I just don't like it, but that's just my opinion. But they could go Tua. They could go with Jordan Love. 
I can they could go with Justin Herbert. And the fact that Justin Herbert is not in any four of these picks from these four analysts kind of just, whoa, what's going on with him? Is he going to drop? And there's even one pick, I believe, on here where Justin Herbert is not in the top ten. Where is he going to go? We don't know. It's it's very interesting where Justin Herbert is. Uh, one scenario, he's 18th going to the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I can see where they kind of sneak him in there. One has him 13 at the for the Colts. Yeah, they need a quarterback. That makes sense. But, I mean, the fact that he's kind of dropping and one situation... This would be crazy. He ends up at 23 and the Patriots snatch him. That'd be very interesting, but there's a lot of big names in this draft we're looking at. Obviously, you got guys like um, Henry Ruggs. He's the guy that ran a 4-2-8, I believe it was, at the Combine. He's freaky fast, but he could... There's one scenario where he goes to the Patriots. Why does it seem like everybody goes to the Patriots if they're good? I don't understand what that's all about, but... Jerry Judy, another guy to watch for. He's the receiver out of Bama. He's projected in the top 10. C.D. Lamb, another one from Oklahoma. Those guys are all really good receivers. But um, there's a lot of situations on here, which I hope that the Lions kind of go with anybody really dynamically best available, preferably probably the defensive side, but I'm not opposed to either. So, But I don't. if we, if we trap the tight end, I'm going to lose my mind. But... There's a lot of free agents still on the market as well, a lot of possible destinations. I mean, there's guys out there like Phillip Rivers. We don't know where he's going. There's rumors he's in Tampa. There's rumors he's in Miami. There's rumors everywhere that he might even be in the Colts. I, there's so many possibilities, and a lot of teams have to take that into consideration. But there's one out there for the Cowboys. His name's Dak Prescott. He's the quarterback. He wants $40 million a year. Here's my answer. No, absolutely not. Dak has not proven he's a $40 million quarterback. I will say that firmly, like put my signature on that statement. He's not a $40 million quarterback yet. Keyword yet. Could he get there? Yes. Is he there right now? Absolutely not. He is not consistent enough. They don't win on the road. He has not made it in the playoffs far at all. Why does he need $40 million? The only $40 million quarterback really in this league right now should be Patrick Mahomes. It, that's the only person. I'd, I'm not saying he should even be worth $40 million because I think that's a ton of money to give to one guy, but that's just my opinion. But if there's anybody that would deserve a $40 million contract, it's Patrick Mahomes because he's the most dynamic quarterback in the NFL, comparable with Lamar Jackson. But he's the guy that has proven that he can win in big games and show up when he needs to. That guy is the $40 million guy, not Dak. Absolutely not. But Josh Norman is also signed with the Bills. So now are we talking Bills maybe even making a run? That defense is good enough. They just added Josh Norman. That gives them some more depth. That gives them a very good defense. That could be a team to watch out for next year. They add some offensive weapons. That could be something special going on there in Buffalo. But is Matthew Stafford leading, leaving the Lions? There's rumor that he might. I read on... um. I shouldn't say red, but I saw on Pat McAfee's possible destinations that he goes to Oakland and we get Derek Carr. Gee, I hope that doesn't happen, but if it did, that'd be it'd be kind of interesting to see what Derek Carr would do. 
I want to see Matthew Stafford stay here another year. Uh, I think we do need to draft a quarterback in this draft. I agree with Travis. I don't think we should do it in the first round because I think there's too much talent outside the quarterback to not take a positional player. But second round, maybe we could snatch up somebody like Jordan Love or maybe even Jacob Eason if he drops that far. I don't think Jacob Eason might not drop that far, but... I mean, it's possible he could drop that far. Maybe we take Jacob Eason. He's kind of a Tom Brady-esque kind of pocket passer guy, but air is completely possible. There's a lot going on in the NFL, but that is going to be it today for the MVSP. We appreciate your views. We will be back on regularly scheduled times here as we get back into the semester. We will be on Tuesday, Thursdays. We will be uploading somewhere in the ballpark of 1 to 3. We might be coming up with a permanent time in the future. But also check out Mike's and Takes. They'll be on Monday, Wednesday, Friday nights. They have great content as well. But thank you guys for watching. We appreciate everything that you've given us. If you don't follow us yet on Twitter, follow us at the MVSP. Follow other Bulldog Radio podcasts as well. There are a lot and a lot of variety in our podcasts. So check those out as well. And we will see you guys back here on Tuesday. So thank you guys for listening. And we will see you then. Thank you.